Join From Beer to the Bible every week as Irvin Lee and co-host Sarah Oliveira McDonald warn others of the consequences of drug and alcohol addiction by being the voice of faith-based recovery. Every week, Irvin and Sarah help people get access to the treatment and counseling they so desperately need. They explore the depths of addiction and give practical life examples of how to recover and develop a new rhythm of living. The show is gritty, authentic, and simply raw while being rooted in the love, faith, and hope of God. Welcome to From Beer to the Bible. This is your host, Irvin Lee of From Beer to the Bible. A lot of times I come in and I'm laughing, I'm joking, but today we're going to talk about a serious issue that is affecting the world and also affecting the church. We don't talk about it much and we want to talk about it more now today and remove some of the stigma, the sin, and the shame about it. So I have, by the grace of God, Dr. Mark Dennison with me, and we're going to talk about sex addiction. Yes, I said it, sex addiction, and how to overcome it, and how it is affecting uh, not only our young people, but even some of our older people, even some of the church folks, and even some of the pastors. So, Mark, why don't you introduce yourself and your organization to our viewers? Hello, it's the Urban. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor to be with you today. Appreciate all that you do. Uh, I am from Houston, Texas. My wife, Beth, and I have been married for 42 years now. Uh, Candy from Houston was uh, born there, raised there, came to faith in Christ as a teenager through a uh, church bus ministry back in the 1970s. And uh, I felt a call to ministry when I was about 15 years old. Began preaching not long after that. Uh, pastored three churches in Texas, two in the Houston area, one up north of Dallas. Uh, went to seminary and did all the things that you normally do. In that regard, I uh, was blessed to serve as chairman of the alumni board at Allen Modern, which was Houston Baptist University, uh, three different times. I was chaplain for Houston Rockets for five seasons, which was really fun. Big sports guy. But uh, during that, while we have son, it's great. And our marriage was strong. I also had a personal addiction, a sexual addiction, that I didn't get the help for that I needed to do until I'd already been walking in bondage for 30 years. And I did not get into recovery until 2013. So it's been about 10 years ago now. And um, still lost my ministry as a pastor. I was a pastor for 31 years. And we moved to Florida in uh, 2014 and we started our ministry uh just a few years after that called there's still hope there's still hope.org because we believe that for anyone who struggles with unwanted sexual behaviors or their husband or wife does that there's still hope in jesus christ and so through our ministry we help men and women and couples to find freedom i work with a lot of pastors that struggle in this area as well we write a lot of books do a lot of speaking so there's still hope. It's all about helping men and women find freedom from unwanted sexual behaviors. Mm. That's awesome. So I want to thank. I want to say this. Congratulations on being married for I think you said 42 years. That's awesome, and that's a testament and an inspiration to us all. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And remove some of the stigma around this addiction. Uh, as it relates to the church and, and to the world. Yeah, I love to. Thanks for asking that. Um, 
just to put some statistics out there, there is the, I've written several books on this. One of them is called Horn in the Pew, and we talk about that stigma. Uh, the fact is that if there is a guy that's watching this who is struggling with pornography, he is not in the minority. I mean, he's not in the yeah, he's not in the minority. He's in the majority. Here's what we know statistically. We know that um, from a lot of studies that have been done, and I can unpack these all day, that um, basically of men that are outside the church, 64% of men are looking at pornography at least once a week. For men that are inside the church, evangelical churches, that number is 62%. So it's basically the same. And for pastors, the number is 37%. 37% of senior pastors are looking at porn on a regular basis. That's three and eight guys. And one of the reasons that they really struggle is that they feel like they're isolated. And isolation is not a friend. Uh, I always tell guys that addiction cripples, but secrets kill. Someone needs to know your stuff. But we feel like in the church that no one can know my stuff because I want you to know me. I want you to love me. But if you really knew me, you could possibly love me. And so we keep it all bottled up inside. And we never break free until we're willing to truly be known. And when we find that freedom in Christ, now we can really help other people and, and God can do amazing things. But we have to understand, the first thing we have to understand, we're not alone and we've got to remove that stigma. Okay. How did you, one, realize I have this problem and then two, find solutions and overcome the shame sometimes that is as we both know that we suffer from in our active addiction? It's a great question. Uh, the model that I teach from on how to break free comes from John 5. Okay. And you'll know the story, the paralytic, he'd been sick for 38 years. And there were four things that needed to happen. Um, the same four things had to happen for me. Number one, he had to be desperate. Jesus said, you want to be well. So the way I found freedom in 2013 was that I had to be desperate. My wife discovered what was going on. She found some things on my phone and said, look, I'm out if you don't get help. And so that drove me. That was my bottom behavior, my bot hitting bottom for me, doing a full clinical disclosure, telling her everything, having took a polygraph with that so she could know that she knew everything. Uh, but I would have never done that if I was not desperate. So I call this God's great unwanted gift for me. I didn't ask for the addiction, didn't ask for the trauma that I had as a child, the abuse that I had as a child, all of those things. But that drove me to the point of desperation. From there, I had to also surrender. Jesus told the man, pick up your mat and walk. He had to do what Jesus said. I had to surrender this to God. Uh, the third aspect of recovery that is found in John chapter 5 is that there has to be disclosure. Someone had to know my stuff. Jesus didn't know this guy by himself. And so I started going to groups. I went to 12-step groups. I got into therapy. I got in Christ-centered work as well. And then the fourth aspect is community, that I have to walk with other men that are in the struggle. The next day, in John 5, we find this man showing up at church. He knew that he needed to walk with other people. So that's one of the, the important things about our ministry. I lead guys through a 90-day recovery program, but part of that is to be in a group. I lead eight groups every week, have about 120 guys in my groups because they can't stay free if they don't do it together. It's it's terribly important. The opposite of addiction is community. Guys, have got to do this together. But the short answer is I had to get desperate. Okay. You, you brought up your wife 
And in these situations, that's often delicate. So talk to anyone out there who's in uh, a marriage and their spouse is struggling with this addiction. What would you, I guess, how would you advise, counsel, and lead them forward? They can't own their husband's addiction, but they can certainly offer prayer and guidance. Uh, we would say to the wives, direct them to our ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, have them call me, have them reach out. Uh, don't try to own the addiction for them or their recovery. If they will go to the uh, email address that's on the screen right now, there's still hope.org. That's our website. Or you can email me at mark at there's still hope.org or my wife, Beth, at there's still hope.org. Then uh, we can get them in a group. We can get them the help they need. We can get them in a program. But for the wives, the other thing we would say is that you can't carry this burden on yourself. My wife leads groups for women who are married to husbands to go through this. The wives need help as well. They, they need to get through their own recovery. It's very traumatic. And so the women need to reach out to us as well so they can get help that they need. Okay. Mark, talk about why do you believe that even though we know that the church is supposed to be there for us, that I have watched this kind of, I'm going to call it sexual addiction epidemic, just reach more people within the body of Christ than honestly I could have imagined until I got in the recovery space. Why is that? Well, I'd say a couple of things. One is that you get what you tolerate. And if the church uh, quits preaching on sin, quits preaching on righteousness, quits holding a high standard, uh, we people do what we inspect, know what we expect. And so if we're no longer asking the tough questions, we lower the bar of character and integrity, then the church is, one of two things will happen. We'll either change culture or culture will change the church. And too often, culture has changed the church. But the other thing is that um, the advent of the internet and the explosion of social media is just every place. It, it used to be that if someone was going to find pornography, just, just he went looking for it. He went under his dad's mattress. He found a magazine someplace. Yeah. Out very, it's so in your face, it's so out there. It's every place. It's accepted. Uh, Playboy magazine went out of business a few years ago. Uh, because they couldn't keep up with um, pornography online. Uh, there's one porn website that has more hits in a day than Playboy viewers or readers for an entire year. And so it's just so prevalent now that it's it's very, very accessible, and that it has created a whole new layer of challenges to the church. Okay. Talk about porn and sex addiction on the impact of women. Sure. Well, we know this, that uh, the fastest growing subgroup of sex addicts is young women. That uh, whereas if you look at the adult population in the United States above the age of 30, about 10% of all sex addicts are women, 90% are men. But from the age of 30 on down, that number is totally different. 60, 40, 40% of sex addicts under the age of 30 are women. And so it's a very fast growing group. Uh, and a lot of this comes from sex trafficking, which is a huge industry in the United States now, uh, which helps to feed this problem even more. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a growing problem for women. Uh, women feel sexualized by culture. 
They feel like they have to maintain a certain look. Even with artificial intelligence, men are actually designing their own porn images now. And so women and the need to keep up feel like they have to be sexualized in order to be appealing to men. And that drives them into an, a whole new arena of sexual addiction for themselves because they start viewing life through the lenses of men, which is very sexual. And so that drives them into addiction, not as much as men, but in the next 10 or 15 years, we expect it to be an even number of young sex addicts to be women as well as men. Does the treatment process differ for men versus women? No. Okay. That's good to know. Um, in your opinion, is the church prepared to treat, address, and deal with this? Absolutely not. I had a survey that was done a few years ago that found of just senior pastors and said, does your church confront the issue of pornography or sexual addiction or unwanted sexual behavior, homosexuality, any sexual issues? Do you deal with this at all? Do you have anything to deal with this? Seven percentage of the pastors said, yes, we have something to deal with this. And so we know the numbers start there and go down, you know, because there would be a lot of pastors who think, because I preached one sermon on this five years ago, that we're dealing with it when of course they're really not. And so no more than seven, probably way less than that percent of churches. Now what's really crazy about that, Irvin, is that if we think about um, people that uh, in most churches um, handicap access or uh, those that are hearing impaired, uh, we know the statistics that in something like 2% is the last number I saw of people that come to church need a wheelchair or not but we do a ramp in every church. About one in 10 need help with hearing impairment, but many, many churches provide those ear things you can put in to hear the message if it's not loud enough. And so we provide for that, even though the vast minority of the people need either one of those things. And yet when 62% of the men in the church have looked at porn since last Sunday, and yet only 7% of the churches provide anything for that, it is, um, it's a huge problem. Mm. On the front of pastors who suffer from sexual addiction and porn addiction, the challenge seems to be around getting them to have the faith and the confidence that if they surface this up to church leadership, that they won't be ostracized, fired, or even demeaned and have lack of um, promotional ability going forward. How would you address that and what would you say to that? Yeah, that's a real problem for sure. Um, I've I've written a book, if you don't mind me holding it. Yeah, please. Broken Vessels. And this is just about what you just said. Broken Vessels, meaning pastors are the broken vessels of God. And within the book, I actually tell the story of 17 pastors that you just described that have been down this pathway. Yeah. They have given their own story for this. Um it varies from denomination to denomination and culture to culture, but by and large, what the church does with a minister, a pastor that struggles in this area, is we kick them to the curb. Yeah. And it, we treat it as the unpardonable sin. We encourage them to get help, but we don't actually give them help ourselves. And so what happens is that pastors become uh, very reticent to ever share their struggle because they know what's going to happen. They know that if they're a lay person, they can have a struggle, they can find help. But if they're a leader in the body of Christ, the chances are they're going to be kicked to the curb. 
So we actually offer help with churches that have pastors to go through this, where we will walk them through a reconciliation process, working with the senior leadership, because we believe in redemption and think that when you just kick a pastor to the curb, the enemy gets the, the victory. But when you take that guy and you rebuild him as you would an engine in an airplane, then that plane will be better than it ever was before. And so it's really important to offer redemption for the pastor. Uh, doesn't mean he keeps his position necessarily. That depends on circumstances and what he's done. But the church needs to have an environment where the pastor, the way I like to say it is where the pastor can walk with the lamp, where he can make it very clear, I'm not perfect. I'm human. I have struggles. That's okay. Uh, when we don't do that, then it just creates an environment. It's false. It's fake. It's not real. It's not genuine. And pastors will struggle even more because they feel like they're not in safe space. Dr. Mark, what is the correlation between alcohol and sex addiction and watching porn? For those watching us, I want them to know, I did not give you these questions in advance, but they are brilliant. I mean, those are exactly the questions to ask. You know, I suspect you already know the answers, most of them. It is a very, very direct correlation. We know that 60% of porn addicts are also alcoholics. Uh, and the reason for that, according to the American Psychological Association, there's 160 addictions, and the vast majority that have an addiction have dual addictions. And they come in two categories. You have behavioral addictions, such as pornography or sex, and you have substance addictions, such as alcohol, narcotics. And so, uh, but it's all the same thing, because the, the way I like to say it is that addiction, especially pornography, is not a bad problem. And we've got to quit treating it like it's a bad problem and recognize it's a bad solution, same as alcohol. We don't do it because we enjoy it. We do it because it hurts less than something else. And so I've actually created what I call an addiction pyramid, four layers to it. The top, the, the, the point of it, the top part of the pyramid is the acting out behavior, drinking, pornography, whatever that is. Beneath that, there are five triggers. When I'm bored, when I'm lonely, I'm angry, I'm stressed, or I'm tired, that feeds the behavior. Beneath that is whatever feeds the trigger. For example, if I'm angry, that's probably because of resentment or pain. And so I have to treat that. And then the bottom layer, there are three things, isolation, trauma, and abuse. So because of that trauma and the abuse and the isolation beneath the surface, that works its way up to the top, whether it's their pornography, gambling, food addiction, uh, any number of things, including alcohol. And so it's a very strong correlation. So what happens is we, we go into our addiction mode and then we start substituting addictions because we feel like I could get rid of this one if I did this one for a while. And so we end up taking on multiple addictions. It does like 60% of sex addicts are also alcoholics. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I'm with pastors and I have lots of pastors who are friends and they are always saying to me, well, I'm going to drink in moderation. And then, but a part of that is then usually they come back and say, well, I watched something I should not have. And I said, well, have you noticed the correlation between when you have your drink or your drinks in moderation, and then you watch things you shouldn't have? So how do we open the doors to porn and then it becoming sex addiction? And I guess... Also, talk about the importance of guarding your eyes, your mind, and your heart uh, from these type of 
things that we shouldn't be watching? Great questions. The the thing that happens with alcohol as well as sex is that we we don't just wake up one day and find ourselves in the it's a process. I mean, relapse is not an event. It's a process. And no matter how far we go down the road to recovery, the ditch is still there on either side of the road. And so uh, I always encourage guys, don't do anything that puts you at risk of addiction. And I, I don't tell guys that you should never drink alcohol, although for me, I don't. Because I know that one in 10 who ever take that drink will eventually become an alcoholic. And if you have an addictive personality or you're addicted to other things, then you're at a much higher risk. And so I wouldn't get on an airplane. I knew one out of 10 seats was going to fall out at 30,000 feet. And so it's easier to just avoid that altogether, in my view. Um, as for the, the other question about our eyes, uh, the eyes are where we take everything. Out, and that's, that's where it always starts, especially for men, because women tend to be more relational. Men are very visual. And so whatever we take in, um, we, it starts this cycle. I, 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 I take it, I plan it, I do it, but I hate it, I cover it, and then I go do it again. But the only reason I think it is because I've seen it. I have to see it before I think it. And so the best way to stop fantasy is to quit taking in more images. And, and here's the analogy I like to use with men is that if you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, I like to ask guys all the time, think back to seventh grade when you're about 13. And I'll ask them, can you think of a girl that was in your seventh grade class that you thought through the eyes of a 13-year-old was this beautiful young woman? She's only 13, but you're 13. It was puppy love, but it was still love to the puppy. Do you remember a girl when you were 13, seventh grade, that you thought, man, she was just gorgeous? I know I did. When I was in seventh grade, there was a girl named Christina, I still remember her last name, obviously I'll give it here. And I was in junior high school, and I still remember Christine. Blonde hair, I thought she was gorgeous. She was like the girl I wanted to marry. I'm 13 years old, still remember her. And then I asked the guys, now tell me something you learned in school that year. Tell me something from science, something from history, something from English, something from, they don't know, they just glassed over. Because we don't remember that. And it's not because we're bad people, it's because we're visual people. And so it's really important to guard our eyes, which is why Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes, not my mind, not my heart, with my eyes, that I would not sin against God by looking lustfully at a young woman. And so I teach a three-second rule, which is anytime you see someone attractive, count to three and fight yourself to the face if you're still looking. Do not stare. I mean, look away as quickly as possible. Because what you take in the day is going to take up residence and it's going to be there to torment you tomorrow. Mm. Dr. Mark, I want you to talk about now you're in your recovery, you're in your healing. I have guys say this to me all the time. If I give up my, my porn and my sex addiction, what do I replace it with? And what is life going to be like? So encourage them uh, around that. Well, it's that's um, that's something I hear a lot. Is okay. What do I do now? Um, and, and here's what we know: you can't just do nothing. Uh, the reason God is getting get into trouble is because they didn't get into something else first. And so, it's really important to take a holistic view of life. When the Bible says, "Love God with your mind and your heart, your soul, and your spirit, and your body," we need to love God with all of that. So, I encourage guys work out. 
do exercise, get a hobby, learn how to cook, uh, do date nights if you're married or dating somebody, get more involved in your church, learn to share your faith with your neighbor, get involved in a social organization of some kind. Because if you, you can't just quit an addiction without replacing with something that's healthy. Okay. Talk about the role that your wife played in your recovery and the overall importance and the role that spouses and family members pray, uh, play in someone's recovery from sexual addiction. There are two words that we like to use, support and enable. Uh, the wives need to support their husbands, but they cannot enable them. They can't own their addiction. They have to support them, but the husband has to do this on his own. Uh, the wife, the best thing the wife can do is to take care of herself. She needs to be healthy. She can't help someone if she's not healthy. And so she's got to take care of herself first. Beyond that, she can support her husband, encourage her husband, but he's got to do recovery for himself. If he if he's doing it for her, then she becomes an enabler, and that's not fair to either one of them. Okay. What's been the most surprising part about your restoration and renewal The surprising thing to me, it's, it's a two-edged sword. It is shocking to me, so the people that have stood by me, because I was a sex addict as a pastor, and, I, and when I resigned, I told people my story. Um, I was shocked by some people that have stayed with me through the years and said, look, we're not standing with you despite what you've done, but because of it. Uh, we believe in redemption. We believe in this story having a great ending. The other surprise is the people that did not stay with me. Uh, if you want to know who your friends are, walk into a room and say, I'm a recovering sex addict. Yeah. And and those who stick and say, man, I'm not going anyplace. I want to help you. Those are your brothers for life. And that's been one of the joyous things about this journey is that in recovery, uh, I, I really believe that 90% of my close friends are guys in recovery because they get it. Yeah. They understand redemption. They understand forgiveness. They understand that we have a God of a second chance. No matter what the recovery is, I don't care. I mean, I just, I love recovery. I love guidance and recovery. We're, we're at, I was earlier today meeting with the pastor here where we love about putting on a conference on recovery because I just love that. But it was surprising, disappointing that those who uh, I thought were my friends but words and those who I found out really were. That, that's really good. I was asking the Lord today. I said, Lord, do I have any resentments around any of the people who I really thought were my friends and that were really going to stick by me that didn't? And I found my alcoholism to be a weeding out process where God really showed me who my real friends were. And now most of my friends, to your point, are in recovery or they're pastors. And I couldn't be happier with the friends that God has provided, because I believe each one, God brought them into my life, just like he brought you into my life, because I just found you from searching the internet. And I said, wow, this we got to get him on. He has a wonderful story. He has to share this with our viewers. So we got a few minutes left and I want everyone to know how to reach you, contact you, talk about your wife a bit more. So neither one of us get in trouble. And then lastly, <laughs> close us out with a word of encouragement for those who are suffering 
And I'm going to put you on the hook right now. We're going to have you on again so we can have part two of this conversation. Oh, that's a hook. I want to be on. That'd be fantastic. You know, Irvin, what you said earlier about uh, the people that when they find out about your alcoholism that aren't still standing beside you, I, I can imagine as a Division I football player that, um, you know, I love sports and everyone's your friend when you're a big time athlete, they're standing beside you. But when you fall, that's when you find out who's really there. And what I've determined is the ones who leave the room when they find out that I'm a center, were never really in the room in the first place. And that's not do I need in my circle. I need the people that are going to be there with me, uh, regardless of what it's, this, this happened in the past, because we have a God of the future. Um, I do want to encourage everyone here, reach out to us if you're struggling with sexual addiction, any unwanted sexual behavior. Um, my email address is mark at theirstillhope.org. I have eight groups that meet throughout the week, two groups just for pastors. I have a group just for doctors. My wife, Beth, at theirstillhope.org works with spouses, women that are married to sex addicts. She has groups. She does one-on-one -on -one coaching for trauma recovery herself. She's brilliant at that. We do couples groups as well. So if you're married and you and your spouse are in recovery together, you want to walk that journey with other couples. We'll be starting our next couples group in a few weeks. Reach out to us. We'd love to help you with that. Have a lot of resources. Go to our website. There's still hope.org and you can find all of the resources there. Uh, love to get some materials into your hands. And if you'd like to reach out to me directly with um, not just by email, by cell number, feel free to text me anytime at 941-526-4700. And the best thing you can do is keep watching this podcast. It's fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Mark. We look forward to a long and good relationship. And I want to leave you with this. You are seeing two men in fellowship who the Lord God took their pain and suffering and turned it and used it for his purpose. He is showing you through both of us his resurrection, his restorative, and his ability to renew your mind, your body, and your soul through his son, Jesus Christ. God loves you. God is not mad at you. God has a great purpose and plan for your life if you will reach out to us and get the help that you need. Please like, share, and subscribe, and also support us. We survive on donations, so you can donate at FromBeerToTheBible.com. And may God richly bless you and your family. Thank you for tuning in to this week's From Beer to the Bible. Make sure to tune in next week when Irvin and Sarah gift you with even more addiction recovery information. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And remember, we're always there for you.